in our uh, America Shall Be Saved series, we continue with David Mickelson uh, preaching today. David has a BA, actually, from uh, in church history from George Fox University and a master's degree from University of Phoenix in education. So he's going to teach us something about how America can be saved, but he's going to include some, some history stuff. I always have appreciated that, David, drawing on... Uh, history, uh, U.S. history stuff to teach us from the Word of God. You're going to be so blessed by this. Give David a warm welcome as he comes and teaches today. Thanks, everybody. That University of Phoenix degree was online, so it doesn't really count. I have a master's degree in moving this podium around, too. So, Boy, I think, Michelle, you're right. There's, there's the Holy Spirit up here. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it. No. I love the name Atreus. Where, where is he? I love that name. It means fearless, and it's such an amazing name. I think that should become a popular name in this country. I think you should start a trend with that one. That's wonderful. So we're going to be turning to Ezekiel 37. So find that in your Bibles while I share this important story with you. A teenager brings her new boyfriend home to meet her parents. They're appalled by his haircut, his tattoos, his piercings. Later, the girl's mom says, dear, he doesn't seem like a very nice boy. Oh, please, mom, says the daughter. If he wasn't nice, would he be doing 500 hours of community service? <laughs> I haven't seen a light bulb joke that made me laugh in a while, but this one did. How many telemarketers does it take to change a light bulb? One, but he has to do it while you're eating dinner. <laughs> I saw this confession the other day from somebody. I used to play spin the bottle as a kid. A girl would spin the bottle, and if it pointed to me, she would either kiss me or give me a nickel. By the time I was 14, I owned my own house. <laughs> okay, one last one. A rich woman was making arrangements for an elaborate reception. Nora, she said to a long-standing servant, for the first half hour, I want you to stand at the ballroom door and call the guests' names as they arrive. Nora's face lit up. Thank you, ma'am, she beamed. I have been, I've been wanting to call most of your friends' names for the last 20 years. <laughs> now, those are all taken from the last 50 years of Reader's Digest jokes, the best Reader's Digest. That, that, one, that last one was published in the Reader's Digest in 1940. So pretty good stuff there. All right, Ezekiel 37. I'm going to try to read this quickly. This is the NIV, but if you have the King James, which is the Bible Jesus reads, that's good too. <laughs> any, any good translation is good. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. Verse 14a, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Thank you, Lord. And we receive that prophecy over the United States and over each one of us individually. So the following is a quote from Reinhard Bonnke. If you don't know, he's the most prolific evangelist in history. This is from 2014. America will be saved. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. In 1972, I heard the Holy Spirit shout in my dream, Africa shall be saved. And I saw a blood-washed Africa. Everybody thought this was impossible. But I heard it on four consecutive nights until I said to my wife after, the, after night number four, I think the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me something. <laughs> and Bonke went on after 1972 to see over 70 million Africans. Can we play some of that video? It's just a, it's just a video, background video of some of the crowds that he's had. There's no audio, but just notice some of these crowds. So 70 million Africans accepted Jesus as their Savior through his ministry alone following that dream. And this is his continuing with that quote. Last year, I heard, America will be saved. People say, what did you say? What did you say? Well, you know, after what I've seen in Africa, I've become an incurable believer, and I don't want to be cured. But I believe America will be saved, and the Lord will do what only he can. We can just leave that up while I continue with this. I believe America will be saved. And I believe it will happen through you, through us, through God's people. Amen? So I'm going to cover two practical actions we, the church, can take to speed this word of bonkies that the dry bones are going to come to life. But first I want to say this. At New Song, you know, we like to emphasize the teachings of Jesus. We like to keep our focus on Jesus, what it means to believe in him, what it means to abide with him. And we try not to get too much into politics. We want our church to be accessible to everybody of every persuasion. So we don't, for instance, this is just a, for instance, associate Christianity with the Republican Party. Uh, since the two are very different things. You probably get at least one amen on that, okay. We do teach that every Christian ought to vote and that we ought to vote pro-life. It's hard to see how one can be a Bible-believing Christian and not make a priority of protecting innocent babies, right? However... All too often, thank you, and I didn't even know this was going to be Sanctity of Life Sunday, so God just fit that into my sermon. So all too often, uh, evangelical America feels like it's winning when a Republican is in the White House, and and all too often, uh, this evangelical culture feels like we're losing if there's a Democrat in the White House. And so I'm going to speak against that feeling today, and I want to remind you of something, and this is going to take us back quite a bit. So anyone here over 100, sorry, under 100? Anybody here under 100? Okay. Then you might need this reminder. This is going to take us way back. Between 1968 and 1992, that's a long time ago. So yeah, 68 to 92, we had a Republican president all but four of those years, that whole time. And it was, it was Jimmy Carter was the only Democrat in that whole period. And there were huge GOP victories. Could I have the map of 1972? 1972, if you can believe it, Richard Nixon, he was very popular at one time. Everybody loved him. 
if you can believe that, everybody loved him. This was the map of the U.S. in 1970. He won 49 out of 50 states. And then, because I have the map of 84, Ronald Reagan won 49 out of 50 states. Thank you. We can drop those. So the Republican Party dominated our presidential elections in that time period. And it took Watergate disillusionment for Jimmy Carter to eke out a win in 76. Otherwise, it probably would have been a Republican that year, too. So consider what took place in that country during that long period of Republican rule. I just want to go over some, some history here. So Roe versus Wade happened in 73. And by the way, I'm not blaming the Republicans. I'm just saying this happened, okay? Uh, the Ten Commandments was banned from schools in 1980 by the Supreme Court. America's drug problem exploded in that time. America's pornography problem exploded in that time. Compare the somewhat innocent music of the Beach Boys and the, and the 1960s Beatles with the heavy metal of the 80s with its openly demonic lyrics and imagery. Watch any TV program from the 60s. Could I have Ozzy and Harriet put up there? Any TV, and you'll be amazed at how clean the language was. That when they showed the parents' bedrooms, they had separate beds. And if a woman was pregnant, she was um, in a family way. That's how they spoke of it. That was how clean TV was back then. And then in the 90s, show it real quick and then get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Okay. And that's for the 90s. TV is even worse. Don't get me started on how TV is today. So you understand what I'm saying here. The same thing happened with movies in that time period. Uh, between that long period of 68 to 92, of the GOP was in charge almost the whole time, and yet our culture was in a free fall in some ways. So I hope you get the point that I'm trying to make. No politician is ever going to be the answer to America's problems. And uh, now don't draw the wrong conclusion from this. We still are called to vote. It's our duty to vote in our constitutional democracy. So don't sit out the next election. But we have to understand that no politician, no party, and no election outcome is going to save this country. Jesus Christ alone can save the United States. And the rest of the world as well. So, you know, they say politics is downstream from culture. Politics is downstream from culture. And I think that's true. Political problems are a result of spiritual problems, not the other way around. So, if politics is not what ails America, I want to look at my idea, and this might be a strange idea at first, but maybe you'll be persuaded. My idea of what really started all this, the somewhat downward slide of our culture. And uh, you might say, who, who is this guy to suggest a random and completely novel answer? But I can tell you, I'm just some bald guy up on the stage with a degree in moving podiums. And so you can take <laughs> what I say. You can think about it. Just think about it, okay? All right. So you might say that I'm going to, a lot of people say, oh, it all started with Darwin. Because when Darwin uh, came out with his book, Origin of Species, it caused a lot of academics to doubt the accuracy of scripture. And then that percolated down through the culture. But I'm actually going to go a little bit further back than Darwin. Not all the way to the Garden of Eden, which is where it really started, but a little bit closer. And I want to read you a quote from somebody who you've definitely heard of. And I'll tell you who it was after I finish reading it. But you can put up his picture now, if you, if you can guess who it is. There he is. Okay, here he is. This, oh, by the way, this is from his commentary on Galatians. And he says this. Um, this visible outpouring of the Holy Spirit was necessary to the establishment of the early church. He's talking about Pentecost and the gifts of the Spirit that uh, the first church saw. And then he goes on, as were also the miracles that accompanied the gift of the Holy Ghost. Once the church had been established and properly advertised by these miracles, the visible appearance of the Holy Ghost ceased. 
And that is Martin Luther, 1535, who uh, had a great impact on Christianity, in fact, when it comes to um, the emphasis on trusting Scripture over human teaching and salvation by faith. But this was a big deal, and I think he really missed it. So here's another quote. This is from John Calvin's Institutes, 1536. He's commenting on Ephesians 4.11, the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And he says this, quote, It deserves attention also, we can go to, there, you got Calvin up. We can go, it deserves attention also that of the five offices which are here enumerated, not more than the last two are intended to be perpetual. So only pastors and teachers are perpetual. He goes on, Apostles, evangelists, and prophets were bestowed on the early church for a limited time only. So we're not supposed to be evangelizing or prophesying or there's no role for apostles. According to John Calvin, a man with an amazing influence on, on Protestant Christianity for the next 500 years. I mean, this was 500 years ago, and these teachings have been foundational to most denominations in that time period. So for centuries following Luther and Calvin, the mainline Protestant church taught that New Testament-style miracles had ceased. You know, they still had faith. They believed in Jesus to save them from their sins. And they would still pray, Lord, let me get better, if it's your will, you know, things like that. Um, but they did not believe in visible miracles or look for vis- visible miracles, and they even would condemn people who pushed for that. You know, you're kind of like out on the fringe if you did that. So as a result, when Darwin came along, in my opinion, and caused academics to believe that the Bible is a fairy tale, the church didn't have a good answer. That was a big deal for our culture. The church didn't really have a good answer to Darwin. You almost can't overstate the impact of the failure of the mainline church in responding to the challenge of Darwin-inspired atheism. And it's not hard to trace a progression of atheism from our universities to the next generation journalists and school teachers who were taught in those universities and then to the next generation through the influence of the media and our schools to the culture at, at large. And here we are, it's 160 years later, and we're seeing the impact of the downfall of faith um, throughout, I would say, a, a huge portion of our society. And it seems like every year they do a poll on, do you go to church, you know, do you believe in God, and the numbers go down in the United States. And, of course, in Western, the whole Western world. So, good news, and I've taught on this before. We've had lots of teaching on this. In the last few decades, believing scientists have convincingly shown, using science, that life could not have evolved without an intelligent designer. And, you know, atheists aren't accepting this yet. They're dragging their feet. And it isn't being taught in our schools yet. I regret that. But I think any open-eyed examination of the evidence demands belief in a creator. And we now know as a matter of visible fact, not blind faith, visible fact, that the universe itself is fine-tuned. The laws of physics are fine-tuned to such a minute degree. You can't change them, these numbers. These numbers go on. You can't even write these numbers on a piece of paper. They're so long. And you can't change even one digit of these numbers without the whole star formation of our, of our galaxy and our, of our universe no longer working. And they look at these numbers and say, we can't change these numbers even one little bit. Why are these numbers so perfect? to allow stars, planets, and eventually human life. And it's been fine-tuned. And, and we know, with common sense, if there's fine-tuning, it implies a very wise fine-tuner, doesn't it? Okay. But, if the mainline church had been practicing the gifts of the Spirit and moving in the supernatural things of God, 160 years ago, when Darwin came on the scene, they could have pointed to the miraculous... They could have said, look at the healings that are taking place in the church. Look at these accurate words of knowledge and these Holy Spirit baptisms. No, Mr. Scientist, God is not dead. 
they ought to have been able to do that. It would have saved our country a great deal of heartache and loss if they had. But they had already embraced the idea that the miracles were, that were found in the past and perhaps maybe found in the future when Jesus comes back are not found in the present. And I believe that from the moment that Christianity said that the miraculous has happened and may happen again, but it's not happening now, from that moment it was like the church was like a twin engine playing with one engine not working. And you can limp along for a while, but you start going down. And that's what I think has been happening in our culture. Okay, so here we are. This is where we find ourselves. And let me ask you this. Is God a God who can make up for lost time? I only heard a couple yeses on that. Is God a God who can make up for lost time? Yes. Can these dry bones live again? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. My friends, it's easy for God to save this country. It's not hard. It would be even easier if he would just do it himself. But he does have that annoying habit of wanting to work through who? Yes, exactly. He's not going to grab the fishing pole from you. He's a good dad. He's going to guide you as you reel in that fish. And he'll only be satisfied working through us. He doesn't want to crush the devil under his own feet. That's too easy for him. He wants to crush the devil under your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So, I can think of two things. If they happen right now in God's church, that we would have a nation-saving revival in no time. Him working through us. So, the first one... I'm going to cover quickly, then we're going to go to the second one. So, Jesus commanded us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into the fields. You remember that that command, Luke 10.2. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If the fields were ripe in Jesus' day when the population of the earth was a tiny fraction of what it is now, how much more is that true of our present day? Understand that it remains true today. The trouble we face in bringing in the harvest is not the lack of a harvest. The trouble we face is in the lack of harvesters. Understand that when you pray that God will do it, He will do it. When you ask Him to send out more workers, He will. Of course, when we pray that, we're also praying that He'll send us. We're not just praying, Lord, send that guy. Lord, send those people. That's part of it, though. And it's really fun to pray that God will send other people. I love praying, Lord, send other workers into the harvest field. I'm thinking of some of you when I pray that. So. And you can do the same thing to me. We should all love praying this prayer. Lord, send out your workers into your harvest field. I would guess, this might just be me being unrealistically negative, so you can take this for what it's worth. I would guess that 95% of the American church has never prayed that prayer. I would guess that if the American church spent just... 10 or 20% of the time that we spend posting political stuff on Facebook. Instead, praying that the Lord would send workers out into the harvest field, that we would see revival start this year. All right. And I'm not even thinking of any of you because I'm not on Facebook, so I don't know what you're all posting, but I'm just guessing because I remember what I was like when I was on there. I, d- I did all that. Okay, that's why I had to cancel my account. So I'll tell you this quick story. I was going door-to-door evangelizing a few years ago. And I met a guy, Christian. It's always good when you meet a Christian. Believe me, they're out there. And uh, he told me that he was surprised I was going door to door. He said that he believes America is about to be judged. And he's waiting for the rapture to happen. So he's just waiting for that. And his whole, his whole idea was basically, why are you trying to save this sinking ship? You know, the, the culture's doomed. The country's doomed. The rapture's about to happen. 
What, what are you even doing right now? Why are you bothering with this? <sighs> you know, I know America deserves to be judged. You know, Jerusalem deserved to be judged when Jesus looked down at it and said how much he longs to gather those people in his arms and love them. And Sodom deserved to be judged when God said what? He would save the city for five righteous souls. And I think that there's at least that many in this room. So <laughs> That's what they call a backhanded compliment. I think there's a lot more than that. Fifty. A <laughs> hundred. Okay, a hundred. Thank you, Jesus. So I don't expect hellfire and brimstone. I know we deserve it. I'm not expecting it. I know there are consequences. We see the consequences. Sin, sin often carries its own consequences, and he doesn't have to add anything. So, I can't find in Scripture where it tells me to hide my light under a bushel and wait for the rapture. Okay. So, if that guy's watching, okay, did you get it? All right. So, another huge chunk of the church we know basically keeps trying to make themselves relevant by compromising morality with the world. And eventually what happens is if you can't call sin, sin, they don't ever know they need a Savior. So we need to stick to the Bible on basic morality so that people know that they need a Savior so they can go to heaven, which is the, the real way to love them. It's the most loving thing we can do is stick to what the Bible teaches. Okay, so it does seem like much of the American church is asleep, and I don't think that about New Song at all. I wish everybody was like us. But never mind that people seem like they're asleep. We can still pray as we were commanded. It's better to be in the forefront of a major move of God than to be a straggler anyway. We don't need to wait for everybody else to start praying that God will send workers out into the harvest field. We need to do it, and we need to believe that it will happen, and it will have a big impact. We're going to be on the forefront of a great move of God that he will bring light to the darkness of our country as we do this. So the bottom line, my friends, understand that you are the salt of the earth. It's not somebody else. It's you. Reinhard Bonnke couldn't have saved 70 million people without a huge organization and without a lot of prayer. One of the main themes of his book, Living a Life of Fire, is how much prayer he needed to do anything. We're part of that. What's, what's going to happen here? There might be a Reinhard Bonnke that rises up, but it's not going to happen without us. We are the salt of the earth. And we want no more delay. It's not going to happen until we pray. It's going to happen. So if, if this generation doesn't start praying, the next one will. But we want it now. Thank you, Lord. That's number one. Number two, another simple, easy change that if even a significant minority, doesn't have to be everybody, if even 30 or 40% of the American church embraced it, we would see a mighty move of God start this year. And this goes back to what I said earlier about Calvin and Luther teaching that the gifts belong to the past. We need a miracle culture if we're going to see this generation of lost Americans come to Jesus. They won't be impressed with us just quoting Bible verses at them on social media. The Bible is sublime beyond words. I'm not putting the Bible down. But the Bible itself declares that the gospel is supposed to be accompanied by signs and wonders. So if we believe the Bible, we should be going for that as well. Let me ask you this. Would Paul have had the impact that he had to pagan Gentiles, if he came with mere words. What did he, what did he himself believe? He said this, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. 
And one more. There's a lot of these. I had to cut this back. One more. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Our society is, I think, about as pagan as the, <laughs> the Mediterranean society of Paul's day was. Pretty pagan. And as Paul showed, the way to win pagans is with power. I told this story at Anthony's Bible study on Wednesday, so those of you who are there, you get the, you get the pr- pleasure and privilege of hearing it again. <laughs> so my dad and I were out of money at the Walmart parking lot. We'd, we'd given away our last cent to, you know, as you evangelize, you get the people who say, yes, I love God, can I have $5? And we were out of money, but we still wanted to keep talking to people. So uh, I was actually relieved because then I could honestly say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And so we, we met a couple, I don't know if they were married, but a man and a woman who were out of gas in the Walmart parking lot by, by McDonald's. And this was, they were genuinely out of gas. It wasn't one of those out of gas scams. And you could tell, they had the car right there, and you could tell that they were genuinely frustrated. And so, what could I do? Uh, they were interested in hearing about Jesus. I could tell, the guy especially was genuinely interested, but he was completely distracted by the fact that he had an empty gas tank. So, I offered to pray. And I have to admit, it was one of those things where you're like, oh, I'll pray for you. Actually, what I wanted to say was, why did you start driving when you knew you had an empty gas tank (laughs) and you knew you had no money? But I bit my tongue and I just started to pray for a miracle. And I had a sense that the gospel was part of this and it was, and these people were were seeing this prayer as um, whether this is real or not. And so I was hoping, but I guess I have to admit, looking back, Uh, I remember distinctly how shocked I was when a car pulled up as I prayed, literally interrupting my prayer, a man rolled down the window and said, hey, do you guys need gas? And actually, it's making me tear up. So the guy said what I was thinking. I didn't say it out loud. I know better than that. He said, I don't believe it. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I figured that, that it must be some normal explanation. Maybe this is his friend. Did he contact somebody? No, it was a complete miracle. It was completely uh, a random coincidence. No, it was a miracle. I should put it that way. So they both prayed to receive Jesus right then and there after they got the gas. And yeah, and they have a story. They have a story now. They, their first introduction to Jesus is they know that it's real because there was a sign and wonder that accompanied it. So I'm not saying you need to go down to Tuval Park and part the Rogue River, okay? Although it would be just as easy for God to do that as to provide gas miraculously. But as you go out and as you share Jesus with people, you need to expect that God will show up with the miraculous because he wants to accompany the gospel with signs and wonders. That's his promise. Now, I think at New Song we do a pretty good job of modeling this kind of lifestyle. We do have a culture that believes for and presses in for miracles. And most weeks we have a, a miraculous video story. So that also feeds into it, because that's going out on, online. So let me ask you this, though, about our miracles. Looking back on your life, don't raise your hand yet. I just want you to think for now. I'm going to have you raise your hand later. So just think, have you ever experienced a miracle? Have you ever experienced a healing? It could be a word of knowledge. Somebody told you something from God that there was no way they could have known that. It could just be a Holy Spirit baptism where you felt the presence of God so strongly you knew it was Him. 
So I'm going to have everyone raise your hand if you've experienced some kind of miracle. Okay, it's too many to count. I was going to try to count. It's too many to count. All right. Isn't God good? That was amazing. That was about 80% of the group. So for those of you who have at least one miracle in your past, which is about the whole church, let me ask you this nicely and not judgmentally. This is just me being as nice as I can. Do you talk about it? Do you tell your unchurched family? Do you tell your unchurched neighbors? I'm hearing some yeses. Thank you. I want to look quickly at one of the more interesting stories in the Bible, Mark 5, 18. Uh, Jesus had just delivered the, uh, some, some people call him the Gadarene demoniac. He was from Gadarene or Gerasene, depending on which gospel you're in. And he just cast out some untold number of demons. And so it says, Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed by the demons begged to go with him, verse 19. But Jesus would not allow him. Go home to your own people, he said, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. What mercy he has shown you. Verse 20. So the man went away and began to proclaim throughout the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And Decapolis is Greek. It means ten cities. So it was like an urban area. Now, it might sound strange to say, but if we acted more like that gathering demoniac, not before he was relieved. That would mean going to a graveyard and clinking chains around. No, after he was, after he was delivered. If we acted more like that, I believe that if even a small portion of the church, 30-40%, acted like that man, sharing our Jesus miracles with the world, telling all that Jesus had done for us, we would see revival start this year. All right. We want to see that third great awakening. It's going to happen when we begin to testify. So maybe 5%, 10% will all be all that happens this year, but it's going to build. And it's going to start, I, I, I want to say it's going to start with us. And it is starting with us. And I know here at this church, many people that I know are already praying and testifying to anyone who they meet, talking about Jesus. Pat was telling me about Margie. He said she can't talk for any, to anybody for more than 30 seconds before it comes around to God. We should all be like Margie. You have amazing Jesus stories. You have a testimony that will change lives. Because they know you're not crazy, most of you. And they know that you're not a liar. So what's the third option? It's real. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that America will be saved. We press in. We press in for Reinhard Bonnke's prophecy, these bones will live, will come true. And we declare over America, these bones will live. We declare over America, this country will be saved. Thank you, Jesus. And we know you're going to work through us, Lord. We know it would be easier if you would just do it yourself, but you won't. You're going to work through us. That's your will. And so we pray. uh, I pray over everyone in this room right now. It says, you are the one who moves in us to will and do according to your good pleasure. So move and will uh, over everyone in this room that they will be moved to pray, to take take, uh, ownership of the need to pray in the harvest and to pray that you will send out your harvesters. This week, I pray, Lord Jesus, move them, surprise them at different times in the week. Have you prayed for the church today? Have you prayed for the harvest today? And I pray we will be a praying church that you will send out the harvesters into your fields. And move us, Lord God, with the testimonies that we have. Give us more miracle stories with all of the... um, ways that this life is throwing trouble at us 
We pray we will press in for the miracles that you have for us, the healings, the words of knowledge, the Holy Spirit baptisms, to get filled with you, filled with your spirit. And we know that these miracles are not just to bless us, although that's part of it, but so that we will testify to the world what you have done for us, your goodness and your mercy over everyone in this room and everyone watching. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right. If you know that you're not right with Jesus right now, then this is your day. I'm going to have everybody close their eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Move on the hearts of anyone, Lord, who needs to get right with you. Jesus, I pray you'll do a quick work in their heart and let them say yes to you right now. If today is your day to say yes to Jesus, uh, everyone else has their eyes closed. I want you to look up at me and catch my eye. Right now, I'm looking to my left on the right side of the room. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking in the middle. Thank you, Lord. Catch my eye if that's you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay. We're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to have a few people who are willing to come up. Jack and Jay and Cheryl. If you're here, Cheryl, come up. And if you need prayer for a miracle in your life today, health, breakthrough, whatever you need, some of these elders are going to be praying for you today. And if you, if you feel led to come up and pray for people, please do that. Otherwise, we're going to be dismissed. So I say go with God and have a blessed and amazing week. Thank you, everybody.